0: Hello, you have reached the voicemail of the Through the Eyes of Jesus podcast. No, I'm just kidding. We're here and we're so glad that you're here as well. Again, welcome back to the Through the Eyes of Jesus podcast. My name is Isaiah Leininger. Joining me today, as always, is our good friend Walker Howell. And today we are talking about the two covenants. And to do that, we brought along our good friend Adrian Judd. Go ahead and introduce yourself, Adrian, if you please.
1: Hello, my name is Adrian Judd, and I'm so thankful to be here with Walker and Isaiah recording this episode on the two covenants. I am a Fred Hartman student and studying psychology and Bible here, and I'm a junior. So, very thankful to be on the
2: show today. I'm still amazed at how many introductions you're able to come up with.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's a a difficult job, but someone's got to do it. Anyway, uh, I may have used that one before. I don't know. Anyway, but today we're talking about the two covenants. Uh, And and this is really a key part in season three, Season three, we're looking at doctrinal issues. We're looking at things that kind of split the church, that divide the church, because we don't understand what the Bible is saying. And so, what we're trying to do is try, we're trying to clear those explanations or those uh, those difficulties up. We're trying to explain what's happened, uh, what, what's happening in the scriptures, and, and what it means for us. Uh, and the two covenants plays a very, very big part in a lot of doctrinal issues. Mm-hmm. The reason that we have a lot of these doctrinal issues that we'll get to. Uh, Later in the episode, we'll discuss later in the episode, is because people don't understand the two covenants. What are the two covenants? What are covenants in general, Uh, and why why do we have two of them? What what are the differences? And so we're going to be going through all of that hopefully today in this episode. So stick with us. We're very excited about this episode. Uh, We're very uh, excited about working with this and and discussing this topic. And again, this is a very very crucial topic for season three. And so uh, we strongly encourage you to to keep listening to this episode before you listen to any other episodes in this uh, series, except for episodes one one and two. Most definitely, because this is, like you said, a foundational episode
2: uh, for the rest of the season. So, um, and I also want to make this disclaimer in case Dr. Deboard is listening to this episode, uh, because uh, there are more than two covenants. But the two covenants that we are going to focus on today are the two primary ones that are essential to understanding uh, the rest of what we're going to talk about this season. So, yes, there's more than two covenants, but um, we're only focusing on two today uh, because these two are most essential to what we
0: need to know. Yep. And so I think in order to help not only explain kind of what you just said, but also to explain what we're going to be talking about, we have to define our term. Yeah. What is a covenant? Uh, and the definition that we have here on our scripts is an agreement or a testament, a binding contract ratified by a swearing oath. Uh, And so what Walker was talking about was uh, we we see these two testaments in our Bibles. We see these two covenants between God and between people in uh, in our Bibles. And you, you may not know why we have these two covenants. Why do we have the Old Testament? Why do we have the New Testament? And we'll get into that in a second. Uh, but just to help clear up what Walker was saying, uh, the two testaments that we're really looking at is between God and a group of people. We also see a lot of times in the in the Bible where someone will make a covenant with God. And so this is uh, what we're looking at is covenants God makes with people, and there's also covenants that people can make with God.
1: Yeah, and I think the really interesting part about this that we're going to hopefully get to get into a little bit early, but we'll get in touch with it here, is... God is a covenantal God. When God makes a promise to someone, it's for a reason. Um, He doesn't just do this haphazardly, right? He's very intentional with who he chooses. He has a very specific purpose in the reason that he is encountering these people. And ultimately, the overarching reason for all that is to point us towards him. Um, God wants to have a relationship with us. And he does that by establishing kind with people. And it all will ultimately point us to, as we'll see, Jesus. Um, but God wants us. And I think that's, a, that's an amazing thing. And we don't always understand why, but it is the case.
0: I, I want to I meditate on that for a little bit. God is all-powerful. God is all-knowing. And God created the universe just by speaking it into existence. And God decided the world needed one of me. God decided the world needed one of Walker, one of Adrian, one of Tim, one of everybody who's listening. God loves us. He's not just some, you know, divine being in the sky. He's our father. And not only does he love and know everyone, but he knows us personally. Jesus says that God can number the hairs on our head. For some of us, that's an easier task than others, but the point is God knows so much about us. God loves us so much. So I guess my my question is do we know Him that way? Do we have that same kind of personal connection to God that He has to us? And I don't think we do. I I know personally myself, I don't have that kind of connection to god that i should and so that's something that i need to continue to grow and to continue to work on but i, I just wanted to, to meditate on that for a second to to really think about how amazing it is that god wants to have a relationship with me
2: hmm.
0: absolutely that's a wonderful thought amen
2: amen um so <laughs> my bad isaiah's tangent <laughs> Thank you, Isaiah, for your valuable insight. Those are all words that we need to hear. We're, we're so thankful for you and the, the wisdom and the knowledge that you bring to us. Now, we're transitioning into Old Covenant. <laughs> um, and uh, the institution of the Old Covenant we read of in Exodus 24 and verse 8. Um, the Old Covenant goes from Genesis up until the point of Jesus' death. Um, and so... That's what we're going to dive into real quick is uh, Exodus 24 and verse 8. Does anyone want to read that for us? Uh,
0: yeah, let me just pull it up real quick.
2: Can we also talk about um,
1: Exodus 20 for a minute? As well? Yeah, go ahead. Um, I think that's important. And Exodus 24 four eight, the heading of my Bible says the covenant confirmed. But if you go back to Exodus chapter 20, I think that's a very familiar passage, maybe more so to our listeners. And that's where God appears at Mount Sinai. And the people there are absolutely terrified there's lightning going on there's smoke like god seems really really powerful in this moment when you look at exodus chapter 20. exodus chapter 20 if you don't know the story behind that that's where we got the ten commandments which i would say is still almost universally known there are still there are people and movements who are trying to erase part of that um, of our history from the ten commandments and all that from our national monuments all that That's another tangent we could get into. Um, However, for our purposes, um, that's where God institutes the Ten Commandments, and I think it's also important to point out that those are not the only ten laws that the nation of Israel had to follow. There were six hundred twelve or six hundred thirteen other laws that the Israelites were commanded to do, uh, which starts to give you a little bit of a hint as to what this old covenant was all about.
0: So. Uh, and, you, and you you bring up a really good, good point, Adrian, that this was a covenant between God and the Israelites. Yes. So at this point in the history of the nation of Israel, uh, we, we see at the end of the book of Genesis that Joseph was sold into slavery. Joseph was a, a young Hebrew boy. And he was sold into slavery in Egypt, and through God's providence, he rose and became the second most powerful man in that nation. And when the famine hit the area, lots of people came to Egypt because Joseph... Uh, again, through God, had the wisdom to say, let's store up some food because this is coming. And so lots of people would come to Egypt and and ask for food and and buy food. And uh, eventually Joseph's family, who had sold him into slavery, came down and and, uh, were reunited with Joseph and moved down to Egypt. And we, we see that the people of Israel grew and and grew, and over the course of hundreds of years, they eventually became a very, very powerful force in Egypt, and so the current Pharaoh was afraid, and he enslaved them. And that's when uh, the people of Israel cry out to God, and God sends Moses to lead the people of Israel out of slavery. And so what happens is that uh, the people of Israel, led by Moses, exit Egypt in the Exodus, which is where we get the name of this book, and uh, they cross Mount Sinai, and they, they're getting ready to to head towards the land that was promised to Abraham and way back in, in, in the early portions of Genesis. And so they stop here at Mount Sinai, like you're talking about, and that's where God makes this covenant with them. God says, I led you out of Egypt. I chose you to be my special people. And you guys are going to have some blessings that come with that, but there's also going to be some responsibilities that come with that. There's going to be things that you have to do because of this. And God says, if you stick with me, if you follow me, if you serve me, I'm going to s- stick with you. But if you abandon me, if you start worshiping other gods, then I'm going to abandon you. And there's not going to be a lot of good things that happen when God abandons you.
1: I don't want God to abandon
2: me. I know that much. <laughs> Most definitely. Not. Yeah. Um yeah, ne- I can't even imagine what would happen if God abandoned I me. Mean, no, okay. mm. you know it, it? it. It's. I think it's important to understand uh, why we have these, why we have the old covenant, and what makes it so unique from the new covenant, which we're going to talk about later. Um, because yes, we we just broke down the institution of the old covenant, and a lot of people may not understand. Um, the difference between uh, wh- why do we have the Old Testament, why do we have the New Testament, what is significant about the Old Testament and what it says compared to the New Testament, why can't we follow some of the things that the Old Testament says compared to what the New Testament says, and I think it's important to remember that the, that the Old Testament was ultimately written for our learning, um, and we'll get into why. That is the case here in a few minutes. Um, and Isaiah, you
0: had a thought. Yeah, I, I just want to reemphasize the fact that this is a covenant between God and the Israelites. Mm-hmm. So unless you are an ancient Israelite, this covenant is not for you, right? Mm-hmm. This is a covenant specifically between God and the people of Israel, as you mentioned, Walker, from the time after they left ex- uh, after they left Egypt in the Exodus to after Jesus' death. That's the old covenant. We are not under the old covenant. Right, if it were, if we were under the old covenant, it would just be called the covenant. We wouldn't need to have a new covenant. But as we'll get to in a minute, the new covenant is something better. It's the fulfillment of the old covenant. Right, the old covenant or the Old Testament. We use those words interchangeably. It was a shadow of things to come. Right, we we use the term foreshadowing in, in literary analysis a lot. You know, the author may drop a hint here that. You know, once you get to the end of the book, you, you remember that, and you're like, oh, wow, that detail makes sense now. That's kind of what's happening with the Old Testament. Uh, it's, it's a shadow of things to come. It's, it's foreshadowing the New Covenant and, and what's happening with the New Covenant.
1: I'm very excited to get to jump into the New Covenant aspect of things. Um, and like you were talking about earlier, the Old Covenant was written for our understanding right Um, I want us to turn to Galatians chapter 3 verse 22 to see a little bit of this and I'll read that in just a moment but I think it's also important to realize that the old covenant had its purpose right as much as it is for the Israelites it's not just something that we should completely throw away it's not something that we should completely disregard Mm -hmm. there's a lot that we can learn about God and about how we as his people should act from inferring from what the old covenant does, even though we're not under it. The God that instituted the old covenant is the same God that we serve today. That did not change when Jesus died on the cross. God did not change. He is the same. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow is what Hebrews tells us. But God's nature is unchanging. That's part of what makes him God. Mm -hmm. So God doesn't change necessarily, but he changes the terms of how we are to obey him. In Galatians chapter 3, in verse number 22, Paul is writing here and he's talking about the law and promise. But he says, But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. And I just want to talk a little bit about um, the last part of that verse I think is very, very crucial. It's about the promise and by our faith, which I won't get off on that, I could talk about that in a minute. But it's through Jesus Christ. The promise of Jesus Christ is completely interwoven into the Old Testament, from Genesis chapter three to Matthew chapter one, if you want to say it that way. Um, we're all—it's all leading up to Jesus coming to Earth because of Jesus, what Jesus is going to be able to do, which is to institute a new covenant. I think that's what makes it
0: really, really beautiful. There's a, there's a group of us right now that are going through the book of Isaiah together. And the book of Isaiah is a beautiful book uh, describing the judgment that is coming upon the people of Judah. But, all, but more importantly, about the hope that they have in the coming Messiah. Uh, Isaiah chapter 53 is one of the most famous passages from that book. And it talks about how someone was led as a lamb to the slaughter so that our sins could be placed on him. And we can understand that to be Christ. They might have not understood that. And they definitely didn't understand that Christ was the Messiah. They might have understood that that was a messianic prophecy, that they definitely didn't understand that Christ was the Messiah. Mm-hmm. We can see that now because we're not in the moment. We're 2,000 years after that, and we have more information than they do. Right. And that's um,
1: I'm glad you really pointed that out we have the benefit of hindsight, right? Mm -hmm. We are able to see, okay, creation to revelation. Oh, it was all leading up to Jesus. Like we can see it so clearly, we can see it so vividly. For These people in this time, they don't know how the story ends up, right? Um, They understand who God is. God has revealed himself to them. But they ultimately remember that end of that part by faith um, that we saw in Galatians. For those people, they had to have faith that Jesus was going to come, that there was going to be a Messiah, or that God was going to fulfill his promises. And ultimately, that comes forth. And God, really, the people that he commands throughout the Bible is people who have that faith in him, who have that trust in him, that what he says he's going to do, they already believe it. Um, They don't have to be convinced, necessarily. And for us, um, we can have faith that God is also going to be faithful by the promises that he has Fulfilled to these other people.
0: I think it's something else that we should mention uh, that that, that would really kind of help sum up everything that we said about the Old Covenant so far is found in Romans chapter 15. Uh, Romans chapter 15 verse 4 Paul says, for whatever was written in former days was written why? For our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. So right there, Paul lays out very clearly what the purpose of the Old Covenant was. Yes, it was to establish a relationship with the Jews, because through the Jews, we would have Christ. And so, but it wasn't a complete covenant. It wasn't wasn't the full covenant, because like, like we talked about, everything in the Old Testament is pointing to Christ. And so he says that the Old Testament, it was written for our instruction, So our learning, our teaching to help us grow closer to God, it was to help us endure through things that we are going through, it was to give us encouragement, and most importantly, it was to give us that hope that we have in Christ. And I think a great place to look at those, all of those, are in the Psalms. Uh, We're not going to read a specific Psalm right now, but the Psalms are filled with encouragement. The Psalms are filled with, you know, uh, promise of hope. The Psalms are filled with the uh, the you know the encouragement to tell you to keep going to to endure uh, and we can learn a lot from the psalms and so I think I think we should really spend a whole lot more time in the Old Testament than we do because like we said everything in the Old Testament is there for a reason and it's pointing us to Christ right and that last the re- end result of verse number four
1: says that we might have hope and it's really easy to say Yes, that is Jesus. And why why is that so important? Well, we're going to get that into that a little bit in the new covenant. But even before then, um, we need to have hope because life's hard, right? <laughs> um, that's really, I think, what kind of Paul is getting at here. Um, he's talking about being an example of Christ. Life's hard. Um, and if we can't go through life like just trying to do it by ourselves... And without God, it's going to be even tougher. Um, the devil does not make it easy for any of us, and especially for the Christian, um, things get really, really hard. But Jesus is greater, and Jesus is better. And um, getting into why that's the case, I guess we should go to Galatians chapter five, talk about that for a bit. Um, I think it's most important because of His life. Is it Galatians five. Galatians five. Yeah. Like, what, what was Jesus' purpose? And what was Jesus' ministry in life, right? I think that's lot. a lot of people ask. <clears throat> like, what does Jesus have to do with me? And a lot of times, and at least, it's really easy, tempting for me to think, what is? what can I get out of faith? Or what is the benefit to me? And I don't just do that with faith. I just think about that in general in some things, right? It's really tempting just to think about me. And it's not always necessarily a bad thing. I need to be able to take care of myself. I need to be able to fulfill my needs. But the really big key in life, right, is realizing life's not all about me. It's not all about how capable I am, how smart I am, all the things that I can do. But it's about how even in my weakness, when life is really hard, I can find strength in Christ. And Jesus is the ultimate example of denying himself. Um, One thing that I studied... Last year, a little bit is you'll be surprised how many times when Jesus is being questioned by somebody, that he doesn't say, Well, this is what I say, or this is what I do. He will do that. He is the Word, he has every right in the world to say, This is how you should live. But a lot of times, if you notice, he says, My Father in heaven. He points back to God. He doesn't just speak from himself all the time. He says, this is my Father. And that, even for the Jews, is almost even more powerful. They respected, they even feared God the Father. And Jesus is pointing them back to this the entire time. And ultimately, um, they don't listen, um, which is sad. But
2: that's Jesus' whole life purpose is to point them back to God the Father. Mm -hmm. And... As we sort of use that to transition, um, you know, pointing it back to uh, to God, pointing it back to Jesus, the the whole reason why the new covenant was, uh, or the whole re- uh, the whole um, foundation for the new covenant was based upon Jesus' death on the cross. That's how we know from that point this is this is whenever the new covenant was going to come into effect. And really, uh, it not only takes pra- place at His death, but I think it takes place at His. Resurrection. I think the the death is the start of it, but the resurrection is the set in stone. This is now the new covenant. This is now what we're supposed to live by, and this is how we should now live uh, the rest of our lives. And so the life that Jesus lived on this earth, uh, from Matthew chapter 1 to whenever he was crucified, and Matthew uh, 28 and different things like that. Um, that, that was the life that he modeled for us, and then that covenant came into effect whenever he... Died and rose on, uh, died on the cross and rose again on the third day. Isaiah, did you have a thought?
0: Yeah, uh, I just wanted to to reference Hebrews chapter ten. Okay. Uh, Hebrews chapter ten. The author there says in the beginning of the of the chapter, for since the law, or, you know, the old law, the old covenant, has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, never. By the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise would they have not ceased to be offered, since the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. So what he's saying there is that Uh, you know, like we talked about, the old law was a shadow of things to come, right? You you may remember reading in your Old Testament about the animal sacrifices that they would do. And the animal sacrifices, you know, they had guilt offerings and sin offerings and peace offerings and, you know, uh, praise offerings and just all of these different animal sacrifices that they would do. And God says, that was what was required, but it's never what was promised. Because the blood of bulls and goats does nothing for you. Uh, the the author of Hebrews later says that in order for a testament to a uh, occur, a new testament occur uh, to occur, there has to be the death of the testator. Uh, we we think of it as like the last will and testament, right? You know, if if I uh you know say that I am establishing my last will and testament, you know, and just hypothetically. If, Walker, if you were in my last will and testament, I was going to give you something that I own after I die. You're not going to get that until I die, right? And so no matter what it is that I promise to you, you're not going to get that until I'm dead. And it's the same thing here with Christ, right? The old covenant came. It was a promise of things to come. And when Christ died, when uh, when he died, he established that, new covenant, so the old covenant it's done away with it's no more it still has value it's still important for us to to look at and to study but we're not under that anymore because it's gone it's the old covenant you know you know I think about it like my phone almost if I have this phone that I have in my hand right now which is an old phone right well well yeah it's an an old (laughs) phone but the point is it's my phone Mm -hmm. if I drop this and it shatters I need to get a new phone why? Because the old phone doesn't work anymore. It doesn't do what we need it to do. And so when I get a new phone, I'm not going to continue to use the old phone. Why? Because it doesn't have any use. I've used it up. It's its value is gone. And again, we still there is still a lot of value in the Old Testament, but we're not under it. Mm-hmm. Right? we are under the new covenant it's the one that was established when jesus died on the cross it's the one that we need to live by and it's the one that promises the return of christ the old testament was all about christ is coming the gospels was about christ is here and the rest of the new testament talks about christ is coming back
1: going off of breaking things um, there's a really cool passage in matthew chapter 27 Um, And I'll go ahead and read it. In verse number fifty. it talks about, this is Jesus' death. It says, And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. He dies. Verse number 51. (coughs) Excuse me. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two, from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. And there's some other weird stuff that happens in verse number 52, 52, with the bodies coming out of the dead and all kinds of weird stuff. The verse number 51 is really what I want to talk about for a little bit. What makes the Old Testament and studying the Old Law so very interesting and also so very complicated? Um, There are some terms that you might have heard us throw around, like the temple or um, all kinds of other things. You're like, what in the world is that if you're listening? You've never heard this before the first time. Um, There's a lot of imagery in the Old Testament that is symbolic for us today on the New Testament, but for these old people in the Old Covenant, this was a very real thing for them. Um, I'm just going to very briefly explain verse number 51. Um, the temple in this passage is not necessarily the temple that um, Solomon built. It has been rebuilt. Um, there's a whole history of the temple and tabernacle. I encourage you to study that if you're interested in that. But the really important part is the curtain right here. This curtain is dividing the most holy place from the holy place. And all that is is two separate rooms inside of the temple. The holy place is where the priest, which only the tribe of Levi, there were 12 tribes in all of Israel, only the tribe of Levi who were priests could be in that room. The most holy place was a place that only the high priest could go only one time a year because that most holy place was where it was said that God's presence was. For the Israelites, for the Jews, this was as close as you could possibly get to God on earth, was in the most holy place. There was only one person who could do that out of the entire nation of Israel, even the entire world, that could do that only one time a year. And what's so powerful about that is, in this verse, it tells us that this curtain, or, <coughs> excuse me, this veil, This veil was to separate God from man, right? But when Jesus died, it was torn from top to bottom. This wasn't something that man did. This is something that God did. He says, no longer am I going to be separated from you. Jesus, by his death, by his blood that he shed that we were talking about with Isaiah, he now is going to make it accessible to where God can be with you in the most close way without being in heaven and you don't have to go to a temple to do that today you have to do that by accessing his blood and there's a lot of other um, beautiful imagery but I think that's one of the most vivid ones Mm. when Jesus says you can call him father and you can be in his actual presence Um, we can do that when we worship in a special way we can do that in prayer in a special way Um, it's beautiful those are some of the promises that the new covenant gives us
0: you know, it's It's really interesting that you brought that up and 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 how that really symbolizes the fact that we are now under the New covenant. And we can understand that now. but we as we talked about uh, earlier, we have hindsight as a, as an advantage to us. The first century Christians didn't have that. They were still trying to figure out what was going on. The New testament was was still being written. And so something that happened when especially when the gospel started reaching, Gentiles, or people who aren't Jews. Uh, they were people who w- are what we call Judaizing teachers. And they would try to make Gentile Christian converts go through the old law first before they could get to the new law. And Paul dealt with that a lot in his letters, but especially with his letter to the church at Galatia. So we're going to read for you, and Adrian mentioned this earlier, but we uh, didn't read it then, so we're going to read it now. Uh, uh, Galatians chapter 5, and we'll read the first six verses. Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 1. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts accepts circumcision, that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. So what we see in this passage is that Paul is instructing these Gentile Christians at Galatia not to submit themselves again to slavery. We were slaves to sin, you were baptized, and you were made free, and you're going to need, uh, excuse me, and you're going to, uh, yeah, you were, you were slaves from sin, you were baptized and made free, and now you're uh, living as a servant to God. Don't submit yourself again to a yoke of slavery. And what he uh, used as an example is circumcision. And that was a medical procedure that the Jewish males would do when they were uh, after they were born, I believe on day eight, mm-hmm. and it was a sign of their commitment to God. It was a sign of their dedication to God, and the fact that they were going to keep their side of the covenant. You know, we 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 talked about earlier the fact that you know with this covenant, the old covenant, God said to the Israelites, "If you're faithful to me, I'm going to be faithful to you. I'm not going to abandon you. I'm not going to uh, desert you if you stay faithful to me." And so that was kind of the Jewish sign of we're going to keep our part of the deal and so uh what what's going on is these judaizing teachers are saying gentiles have to be circumcised they have to be circumcised in order to be christians and paul says if you're going to do that you have to keep the old law you have to keep all of it and if you're going to keep all of the old law then christ is of no use to you the old covenant is of no uh spiritual use to us today in the term of that we are not under again Old law, old law still has a lot of value for us, still has a lot of instruction for us, but we are not under the old law. And if we try to keep any of the old law, we have to keep all of the old law. And if we keep any of the old law, Christ is of no use to us. I think it's important to point out what it is that
1: sets us free in
0: Christ mm-hmm. and
1: why it's a better covenant. And the short answer to that is our faith and how we, the way we have our faith uh, in verse number six is through accessing Jesus' blood which gets us back to a little bit of what we're talking about with the blood of bulls and goats. The reason that the blood of bulls and goats can't cleanse is because as much as God required in the Old Testament, give me your best, give me the healthiest lamb, give me the one that's the strongest, give me your very, very best.
2: <clears throat>
1: Although they try to give God the best, they can never offer him something perfect. Instead, God gave us something perfect, which was his son, which was Jesus. We talked about him dying earlier and the way that we have access to him now, what our covenant is, our covenant is not one of circumcision. That's not how we consecrate our covenant. That's how the Jewish uh, men consecrated the Old Testament law. That's how God uh, commanded them to. But for us today, it's by getting access into the blood of Jesus. At that point, there are other steps to becoming a Christian before that, but when it becomes real uh, per se, or when the rubber really meets the road, is when we are able to access Christ's blood and the waters of baptism. And I think that's a tangent we could get off on in Romans chapter 6. It's a really, really beautiful, powerful passage. But just to say that Jesus is perfect, and his blood is so much better than all those other things, and it is a better covenant. And that's going to be something you hear us all the time say, Jesus is better, Um, the new covenant is better, and it's what's best for us. I also like what Isaiah said about um, how when you keep one part of the Old Testament law, you have to keep all of it. And for the Jews um, today, um, you cannot do that. There's no longer a temple. Um, So I know we're going to get into, if we want to go ahead and get into it. um, There's a lot of issues today that people are like, well, um, I want to be able to, for example, um, have be saved like the thief on the cross right um, the thief on the cross asked Jesus um, please Lord please save me and Jesus says today I'll be saved with you in paradise and how does that work um, why was the thief on the cross able to be saved in that way can people be saved that way today
0: is that still a possibility well the, the quick answer to that is no Uh, and here's why Yeah, exactly and here's why so as we mentioned the old covenant was not fully put away until Jesus died on the cross so as you mentioned the thief and Christ they're both on the cross and you know it's a matter of hours painful hours you know grueling hours but hours but the point is that Jesus is still alive when he says that uh, the, the old expression "dead man tell no tales," right? That's not that's not completely true, but the, but the point is, Jesus is still alive, and so they were still under the old covenant. So baptism, as we understand it in the New Testament, wasn't a thing yet. They they had like ritual washings and cleansings and things of that nature, but it didn't have the same importance of the same significance that it does to us today. It didn't take away their sins. That was only because of God and because of the sacrifice that Christ made on the cross. So that's the first thing. The first part is the thief of the cross is still under the old covenant. So baptism isn't a thing yet. But secondly, this is a very, very specific circumstance. This is not uh, something that happens to everyone. Not, you know, There's not, nothing that I can do to take away my sins except be baptized. The thief on the cross had another option. He could speak to Jesus mm-hmm. face-to-face. We can talk to God today. We can still speak to Jesus today through prayer, and he speaks to us through his word, but we can't talk to him face-to-face. And the thief of the cross could do that. And so what's so significant about that is the fact that Jesus forgives sins. Jesus has the power to forgive sins. And so he could say assuredly that the thief on the cross is going to be with him in paradise because of the thief's faith and because of Jesus' power to remove sins. Mm-hmm. We don't have that same access to Christ that the thief had. Yeah. We don't see him face to face. So, yes, Jesus still is willing to forgive our sins. Yes, Jesus is still able to forgive our sins, but not in the same specific way that he did for the thief on the cross. I think it's also important to point out that at this point,
1: um, they're still under the Old Testament. Um, Jesus is still alive, like you pointed out. And also, it's quite possible um, at this point, what God had asked for of people is to be baptized with the baptism of John, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's possible that this guy was baptized by John and then messed up in some big way and found himself on the cross. And, and that way, maybe Jesus forgave him because he... Of course, Jesus knows all that. It's possible that didn't happen at all. And that this guy was just a Jew who completely messed up and Jesus still forgave him. But the point is, um, they're still under the Old Testament. They're still under the Old Covenant. And where I really want to talk with you guys and what really got me excited to come on the show was if we could go to Hebrews chapter 6 and really talk about today, like for us, what happens when we, as Christians today, um, we when we mess up, right? Um, as wonderful as Jesus is, and as powerful He is, we know that He is able to forgive our sins, completely take them off um, of our record against God. And that's a beautiful and marvelous thing. But when I sin, when I mess up, what happens then? And Hebrews chapter six is a little bit of what this is talking about, but I want to draw a very important distinction that there is a difference between just messing up maybe one time and completely going against the faith. And we're going to see that a little bit um, in this passage. So, Isaiah, can I ask you to read um, verses 4 and 5
0: uh, for us first? Sure. For it is an impossible, or excuse me, for it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the holy spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of god and the power of the age to come so firstly um, from these two verses
1: i just really want to point out when we become christians it is a powerful powerful statement um, we get to share in the holy spirit as it says we get to taste of the heavenly gift we have to, we get to taste in the goodness of the word of god and the power of the age to come god is working through us in this process okay And um, it's an amazing thing. It's really powerful to pronounce um, that Jesus is Lord. Um, In verse number six, though, um, it says this And then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. Now, like I said earlier, um, I think that there is a distinction between what this verse is describing, also. I think it is 2 Peter chapter 1 at the end of that passage, it talks about the dog, um, uh, it's actually 2 Peter chapter 2, um, it's talking about the dog who vomits and goes back to their own vomit. I think this is different uh, than what we read in 1 John about staying in the light as he is in the light. I think what this passage is describing is a Christian who has decided to put on Christ, and who, and it's not always about what I think, it's also about what the Bible says, make that very clear. There's a difference between turning your back completely away from Christ and going a complete opposite lifestyle and just messing up one time, right? Um, I think it can be very discouraging as a Christian to know if I mess up one time, I'm just completely putting Christ on the cross again, right? And I think we've heard that sometimes and we've been told that, but I don't think that's exactly what he's saying. Um... And this in this passage it's talking about the one who goes completely against Christ as Adam.
0: Uh, yeah, I just wanted to quickly jump in there and, and kind of help make that distinction maybe a little bit clearer. Yeah. So we're all sinners. I think I think we've yes. we've said that several times on the show. Each and every one of us has our different set of struggles, different set of temptations that we have to go through. And as Adrian was pointing out, yes. Each and every sin is, is bad. We should try to avoid all sin. But the fact of the matter is that we're human. We're weak, and we are going to fall short. And that's why we need Christ. Right. Uh, but like, like you were saying, there's a big difference between slipping up and, a, and uh, turning your back on God. And I think to help us make that distinction, I'm going to read 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4. He says, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. So what he's saying there is that sin, you know, you you can practice sin. Just like you may practice basketball, you may practice an instrument, you may practice whatever it is that you're doing. That takes repeated action, right? And so, yes, all sin is bad. We should try to avoid all sin and we need to repent when we do sin. But the idea is that it's the practicing of sin, it's the lifestyle of sin, that is really what's going to condemn us, instead of one time we mess up and we're done, right?
1: Right. And that gets us into um, verse number nine, um, which he is talking to those who are faithful, right? The whole book of Hebrews is to tell us that God is better, but he says that we can have confidence in our faith. Um I was talking to you guys earlier about how I don't like lengthy readings. Um, I'm going to try not to do it too lengthy on this reading, but I do want us to look at verses um, 9 through 20 just a little bit because I think they tell us a lot about who our God is, that we serve, and what he has to say. So in verse number 9, it says, Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things that belong to salvation. So he's just told them, right, in the previous verses it is so bad to deny the faith to go against God. It's as if you're putting Jesus back on the cross again. He says, in your case, we feel better or better things. Um, we know that you are trying your very, very best. So the Hebrew author is confident that they're going to do uh, what they need to do. In verse number 10, though, this is what God's going to do for us if we remain faithful as Christians, if we continue to walk in the light as he is in the light. He has that grace. It says, for God is not unjust, so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do and we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish but meditators of the, those who through faith and patience inherit the promises notice in verse number 11 we can have full assurance of hope and by that we're able to be faithful. We're able to still maintain the good work. And also in verse number 12, at the very end, if we have this faith, if we have this patience, we're able to inherit the promises of God. In verses 13 through 20, which Isaiah, if you could read that for us in a minute, um, he's going to give us an example of God's faithfulness um, to us. Or, Walker, you got it? Mm-hmm. Okay, that'd be good. Um, and. There's going to be some imagery here and stuff that I want us to talk about as well. But if you can read that for us, it'll give us a little bit more of an 13, idea of who God, God is. Yes.
2: Okay. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by uh, by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their d- disputes an oath is final for confirmation. A, a hope that enters into the inner place this um, behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek
1: so a few things here at the very start of this verse um, verse number 13 the start of this passage it says um, that God gave a promise to Abraham and he's going to give us a similar promise and it says God swore by himself and As Christians, we don't swear, right? Um, Jesus says, let your yes be yes and let your no be no. But what this passage is talking about is God is giving him a promise. He's giving him assurance, and he does that by God. God is saying, I'm going to make this promise to you, and I'm going to base it on who I am, which is God, which is all-powerful, all-amazing, a wonderful thing. And then in verse number 17, this is a beautiful passage. I just want to read again. It says, so when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed with an oath. right? So it's God's amazing purpose. It's his oath. Um, in verse number 18, it's based off that God cannot lie and that we might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope that is set before us. And who is that hope? The hope is Jesus. And what has Jesus done for us? Remember we talked earlier about how the veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom. What Jesus does for us is he goes into that inner place. He goes into the most holy of holy places. He intercedes for us as God. He is now our high priest. He is the one who makes God accessible to us today, which is able to offer us salvation. It's also able to give us hope that even when life is hard, we can still be confident of our
0: faith in Christ. Amen. Amen. You know, we, we've talked a lot today. Uh, I think we've had some really, really great discussion. Uh, but before we close, I just want to you know, kind of run through what we've talked about, summarize it so, so those at home can really have a, a, a take home kind of statement uh, just to, just to help them understand everything uh, that we've talked about. So there are two big covenants in the Bible. the Old Covenant or the Old Testament, which was specifically for the Jews, for the Israelites. And then the New Covenant, which is available for all. There's no one that is not uh, under the New Covenant. There's no one who cannot get salvation from Christ and from the New Covenant. Uh, And so it's very, very important that we remember that we live under the New Covenant. uh, Because this is the the better covenant. This is the one that actually takes away our sins. This is the one that promises a home and heaven with Christ. This is the one that... Uh, promises that Christ will come back. This is the better covenant, and we need to make sure that we are keeping to the new covenant and not still trying to follow the old covenant with issues like the thief on the cross, or uh, we could have also gotten into instrumental worship, which was uh, an episode that we'll get into later in this season. But the point of the matter is, the old covenant is not sufficient to save us. It cannot save us. We have to be under the new law. But the Old Law is still very, very important. It gives us a lot of instruction. It gives us a lot of encouragement. And it helps us understand that Jesus is who he says he is. We can look at all the messianic prophecies. We can look at all the foreshadowing that all point to Christ and say, this is the Son of God. So the Old Testament is very, very important for us. But it's not a, uh, it's not something that can offer us salvation anymore. Amen.
2: You know, throughout this episode, we have we looked at the tearing of the veil, uh, the curtain. We looked at uh, Jesus saving the thief on the cross. We discussed those two things. And even in the two episodes prior, or even in the episodes prior to this episode, uh, I think we've really seen the power of God and we will continue to see the power of God throughout the season and how powerful he truly is. And his power that's demonstrated through the, him being able to save the thief on the cross without... Uh, without um, just by speaking it um, or him being able to tear the curtain once Jesus uh, was put to death. All these things show the power of God and it's truly amazing uh, how powerful our God is um, and for him to have these two covenants and to teach us these lessons through powerful imagery as we've looked in hebrews 6 verses 19 or verses 9 through 20 and different things like that It, it it truly amazes me uh through this study um just looking at the two covenants um the power that we see through god but i've enjoyed our discussion today it's been a great one and i'm thankful for adrian coming on and uh giving us his insight his knowledge and his wisdom he is truly a great guy Um, And you can learn more about him on our website because he has a whole page dedicated just for him. And so you can find his short little bio and uh, ways to contact him if you would like. Um, He is a great minister of the gospel, and he's going to do great things. Um, And we are thankful for him. If you have any questions for us, we're accessible through social media, uh, through the Eyes of Jesus podcast on Facebook. T-T-E-O-J underscore podcast on Instagram. And you can also email us. Uh, you can find that email on our website, Tteoj.com, And you can contact us by phone, 731-439-9671. And we would be happy to answer any questions you have, take any suggestions that you may have, uh, and maybe even study with you if you would like. Um, we would love to, or I would love to at least, come and talk to congregations about podcasts Maybe Isaiah would tag along with me if he wants, or Tim. Um, I don't know. Uh, Or, I don't know. Someone may join me. They may not. Um, But, nonetheless, uh, we would love to talk to you um, and whatnot. And so, feel free to reach out and uh, let your request be made known. Anything else to add before we close in prayer, guys? All right. Let's go to our Father in prayer. God, we love you, and we're thankful for this day. We're thankful for this time that we get to come together. We get to open up your word. We get to dissect what your word has to say regarding this foundational uh, topic uh, for this season regarding the two covenants. We're thankful for everything that you have done for us. We're thankful for your word. Not only are we thankful for the Old Testament, for the lessons that it teaches us, for the stories that we're able to read and learn from, we're also thankful for the New Testament because the New Testament was made possible by the ultimate sacrifice of your son, and that is the greatest sacrifice that we've ever been given. He was the perfect sacrifice, and he has uh, set out the plan of redemption for us, and it was uh, and it was even uh, made more beautiful whenever he died on the cross for us. And now we strive for that hope of heaven one day. We pray that we can remain faithful to you and keep... Uh, Keep hold to your promises and uh, strive to live a faithful life in accordance to your will. Be with all those who may be struggling at this time. Strengthen them and encourage them in only ways that you know how. We're thankful for Adrian, Isaiah, and all the other guys that I work with, including Tim. And uh, and I'm thankful for all of them and the work that they continue to do. We pray all this in your son's name. We pray.
0: Amen. Amen.